Welcome to Frontiers of Faith, a podcast of the Pontifical Mission Societies. I am Katie Ruvalcaba, and you'll be delighted to see that we have with us once again, Father Anthony. Say hi, Father Anthony. Uh, It's so great to be with you, Katie. Uh, Enjoy this so much. Thank you. Yeah, we are having a Lent extravaganza this uh, this February. I hope you've enjoyed the last couple of episodes that we have had. Um, We talked about you know, prayer and Lectio Divina. We talked about fasting. We had Maggie on to talk to us about almsgiving. And you may think that that's the end of our, our Lenten things. But of those three, if you had to say, which one's the most important, Father, which would you think is the most important? Oh, that prayer, fasting, or almsgiving? Yeah. Oh, geez, that's not a fair question. Uh, <laughs> if I you think, don't answer uh, correctly, you're going to ruin my segue. So. <laughs> well, it's like, I would say it's a three-legged stool. You take one of the legs off, it's not going to work. Uh, so I'm going to go with a three-legged stool. Dang it. Well, then my transition uh, is, is not yeah. going to work as well. But we're going to refocus again on prayer because to me, I feel like a good prayer life is going to be key to the whole thing. You want to be prayerfully giving with your alms, giving prayerfully, uh, prayerful in your fasting and, and, and prayerful in your prayer. But so I, we're going to, we just, we have four weeks and we had three things. So we're going to focus, we're going to double down on the prayer for you guys. But I think that prayer is one of those things that there's not, um, not as many adults realize that they're, they don't know how to pray as, as you might think. Uh, so if you kind of like asked an adult, you just walk, if you were, if you were, you know, completely unfamiliar with the concept and you walked up to the average Catholic and you said, Hey, how, how, teach me to pray. How do you pray? That question is massively confusing for people who have spent their entire life um, in a culture of Catholicism of prayer. I know when I converted, um, I went through RCIA and I remember asking during RCIA, how do you do adoration? And my RCIA director was like, well, you just, you go adore Jesus. And I was like, yeah, but what do you do? She was like, you what do you mean? <laughs> the, the question was just completely confusing for her. So I think um, when we focus this week or this month on on prayer, we gave them Lexio Divina as a thing to work with. But there are so many wonderful prayer things. What's your favorite way to pray as a Catholic, Father Anthony? Um, I would say that probably my favorite way to pray is to pray the psalm. Other than obviously, apart from the Eucharist, a private prayer. What is my favorite private prayer? It's, it's a form of Lexio Divina of taking the scriptures and just going slowly with it, whether it's the Psalms or, or one of the other parts of the Bible, um, and, 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 and in a space that I don't feel rushed, that I don't have anything I have to do. Uh, yeah, that's my favorite. Um, yeah. The Psalms. The Psalms or the scriptures in a way that I can, and usually with, um, a journaling, but uh, a journaling where I'm writing down a word or an image and just kind of commenting it just for myself. I mean, no other person. Uh, that's it's trying to be as attentive to, as possible. One of my great spiritual heroes is Cardinal Newman's now St. John Henry Newman. Mm-hmm. And they said of Newman that he always prayed with a pen in his hand because he was underlining things in what he was reading. So it shows that when one prays, um, one is active. I think one of the great misconceptions of the modern day is that prayer has to be sort of like, if you're not transported into um, a different universe, uh, then it's not, you know, like if, if it's completely, it, yeah. it doesn't count. And I'm, I'm not sure I can quote this guy. He's been canceled now, but I do quote him still, Woody Allen, 
who said 80 percent of, <laughs> of life is showing up, and I think that's tr- actually I think that is very very true. Eighty percent of adoration is just showing up, just shows up, and you're eight, you're eighty percent there. And remember, eighty percent in, in school is like a B. That's pretty good. That's yeah. pretty good. If if you're totally distracted, the other, and again, we could even talk about what distractions are, but okay, but you were there. And what and you could say, well, what was it worth? Well, you weren't doom scrolling on Twitter. You weren't watching TikTok videos. Um, you just were trying to be quiet. You just try to be quiet in the presence of the Lord. What? That's a big win. That's a, just a big win. Yeah, that's. I'm gonna just. I mean, if if you don't want to quote Woody Allen, yeah, you just say you say Father Anthony once said, eighty percent of life is just showing up, and that's fine. I don't. You know, I I think that's so valid. Like we, especially as moms, I always bring this back to a mom thing, but oftentimes, um, like on Twitter, people get into big debates about whether or not little kids should be in mass. And, and, and sometimes as a parent, when you have a little kid in mass and it feels like you spent the whole mass just trying to get this kid not to scream nonsense or the bluey theme song at the priest the whole time, it feels like, why did I even bother? I wasn't, I wasn't there. I wasn't participating. And you can get into spiritual reading that talks about your participation in the mass and things like that. And it feels like it had no point. It wasn't valid that there wasn't anything good about it. And I, what you're saying is it's infinitely valid. 80% of it was just getting there, you know? I mean, it actually, it actually pays a point off of the whole craziness of uh, live stream masses during uh, the pandemic. And obviously we've had masses on television for decades, which it used to be mostly for shut-ins. And I've had to have conversations with a few people say, yo, it's so much easier with the kids just to stay at home and keep them on the couch and watch the mass. And, uh, or, or sometimes adults saying, oh, it's so, uh, especially in the cold to go out and all that. And, and you say, well, it's so then it becomes so much about you when, when you drag when we drag ourselves to mass and we have to deal with one of the parishes that, that I work at is in a little bit of a rougher downtown part of, of New York. And sometimes there are people who are, are living on the edge, you might say, that you have to deal with to get to mass. That is a lot of the point. Mm-hmm. That's, uh, you know, that's that's the whole point, because when we just shut ourselves up in our homes, we are not dealing with God's people then. Yeah, no. you're not I mean, encountering Christ in everyone else. Right, right. Ugh, that's so true. What a great, a great point. And uh, so, dang, and I don't have a great transition to what I wanted to talk about. So insert fabulous transition here. Um, <laughs> <laughs> think of one in your heart, guys. Um, but our, our founder here at the Pontifical Mission Societies, or one of them is, is Pauline Jericho, Blessed Pauline Jericho. And we are venerable. She's venerable, Pauline Jericho? I don't know where we're at. Blessed, blessed, blessed. Okay, I was right. Blessed. Um, Pauline Jericho, which we've talked about her before, but um, just to kind of reiterate, if you haven't listened to every episode of this podcast, number one, what are you doing? Go back and listen to all the episodes. And number two, um, Pauline Jericho was a young woman in her 20s who started the Society, Society for the Propagation of the Faith by inviting women from the working classes to come into her parish or to meet together. And they would each give a sue, which is a penny for the mission church. They would fundraise for the mission church, but most importantly, they would sit around and they would pray the rosary um, for the church, um, for the missions specifically. And that prayer 
um, I, I think we pointed it out at one point, but the, the time of life that her, uh, or I'm sorry, the time in history that her life exists in is the same time when all the Asian martyrs were, were facing their persecution. And I cannot help but think that this, the prayers of this 20 something year old girl in France, this area that had just gone through the French revolution and was kind of, it used to be so, so faithful. And then it kind of became a hub for Jean-Paul Sartre. Don't ask me my opinion about Jean-Paul Sartre. I made a face, but, um, like the, uh, the way that their that their prayers, this, this, the prayers of those faithful women there had to be bolstering the confidence and the strength of the people in Asia without them even knowing it is huge. And I, I, I want to encourage our listeners this year to find a way to embrace their inner Pauline Jericho, to reach out to their parishes, find ways to start these prayer groups, to be a prayer group for the missions. And it doesn't have to be a huge thing. I mean, some parishes are really big about registering your mission and yada, 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 but maybe just get people together at your house, spend some time in the rosary, spend some time in prayer and then, you know, fundraise, everybody give a dollar and, and, and you, you pray the rosary together. You're just little baby Pauline Jericho. The rosary is one of those prayers that as a convert, um, wasn't really available to me. Uh, you know, when I was a, when I was a Lutheran, the rosary is pretty heavily frowned upon, um, because, you know, we, they're not a big fans of, of intercessing to our blessed mother, um, or through our blessed mother and, and things like that. So when I learned to pray the rosary, it first came about in like a very, oh, I went through our CIA. So when I said, how do you pray the rosary? You know what they did, Father Anthony? You, they just took it out and did it or no? No, they handed me a pamphlet. Oh, okay, okay, okay. <laughs> There's lots of great rosary pamphlets out oh. there, but they're like, here, this is how you pray the rosary. Uh, it was so weird because the first time I did like a, a corporate rosary with lots of other people, there's parts where you don't talk. Like only the leader reads this part. But oh, you right, you right, right. Know right, that right. it's not evident in the in the in the book or the pamphlet. So, um, and then you know how uh, when they say they announce the mystery, you don't really know what to do if you've never been a part. Like what is what is the mystery? What am I supposed to do with this? So I kind of want to 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 touch on that a little bit. Do you have a favorite set of mysteries in the, uh, in the rosary before we, before I get in there? Uh, I would say that, um, I would say, um, I have a couple of that. I would say probably the, the, uh, joyful mysteries are my favorite. Yeah. I, I like those the best. Um, yeah. but, but I actually, and, and the luminous, which is obviously a much more recent one, Mm-hmm. Well, it's probably 30 years now. It's not that recent anymore. Yeah. I do like this. Um, I, I, I also like the fact that, um, you know, every day of the week, a different set is assigned to. So it, it forces you to, um, because the mysteries of the rosary uh, touch on the mysteries of human existence too. Sometimes we're carrying the cross and sometimes we're at a, a moment of visitation where we're, with someone who we have a deep attention uh, connection to. So, um, and when we're in a place, if we're feeling a place where we're c- carrying a, a heavy cross right then, but it happens to be the day of the week that we're doing the, um, the joyful min- mysteries, it can force us to remember that we've not always been at that moment. We have been other moments in our lives too. So, um, I'm a little all over the place there, but I hope that makes sense. No, I'm with you. The meditations on the different aspects of Christ's life are 
really what's key to the whole thing and what um, really never gets told when people say, oh, the rosary is a prayer to, to Mary. Well, no, it's, I mean, yes, a little bit, but it's also a meditation on the life of Christ. And we get accused a little bit of vain repetition by saying the same thing over and over. But one of the ways when somebody finally taught me how Catholics pray, or, or at least at least how that particular Catholic prayed, she says, you want to hold the intentions um, in your heart. Like God doesn't need to hear your words. You don't need to be super eloquent and super bombastic in order for God to know what it is that you're, you're needing. And in order to be able to uh, reveal to you what he needs you to see. So in meditating on the different mysteries, we're saying the same thing with our mouth over and over, which allows our brain to be focused on an activity so that we don't get to, I mean, you can get distracted, but it's so that you can keep your brain moving and active while also holding an intention of something else in your heart. Um, and, and God can help you with that. And I thought that that was just such a beautiful way to do that. So I wanted to kind of give a little bit of a, an idea of how you could pray the rosary this Lent with the thought of our brothers and sisters in the missions in mind. Um, so obviously, I'm going to be going over the sorrowful mysteries with everybody for right now. Um, the sorrowful mysteries are big in Lent. We do a lot of sorrowful mysteries in Lent because we're focusing on that period of Christ's life, right? So the sorrowful mysteries, do you know them off of the top of your head, Father Anthony? I, I do, but when you throw me at that, that I'll be, well, sometimes I'll get nervous, so I'll let you read them out. Oh, that's fair. That's fair. Uh, I hate when that happens. You're like, the Agony in the this. Garden. <laughs> the Agony, the, the, now you have me nervous now. Isn't that funny? Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> He's like, I'm going to do it. Uh, Agony in the Garden, the Scourging at the Pillar, the uh, Crown of Thorns, thorns carrying, carrying the, the cross, cross, and the Crucifixion. crucifixion. Right, yep. right, right. Those are, those are your, your five guys that you're going to I mean, I did learn them all. Actually, I did learn them all in, in grammar school, but that was before the, the Luminous. So, so those I sometimes have to remind myself, but go ahead. Yeah. Uh, well, the benefit of converting in 2017 is that the Luminous were always there. I never knew it any other way. So... Um, so with the Sorrowful Mysteries, I'm, I want to give you something to think about with each of the different mysteries. So um, we're not going to play the rosary aloud during this particular um, podcast, but I want you to, to encourage you to, to meditate on these things. When the mystery is the agony in the garden, you're picturing our Lord surrounded by olive trees, which is food, right? He's, he's surrounded by the thing that sustains the region, the thing that um, provides oil, that provides sustenance. It's just, it's a very rich um, location. I've actually been there in Jerusalem. It's a beautiful place. Um, but while you're meditating on that, I, I want you to focus on the places in the world where food is scarce, the missions in the world where it's difficult to, to find a meal, where fasting is not optional, where it's just a way of life. So during that time, when you're, when you're meditating on the agony in the garden, Meditate also on the, the missions where food is scarce, where people's suffering is, is united to Christ's agony. That second mystery is the scourging at the pillar. Um, this is something that was physically painful for our Lord. Um, and there are, we like to think of ourselves in America as being mildly persecuted um, because you know the culture is a little bit against us at this time. But there are places in the world where you can literally be imprisoned, killed, and tortured. We just finished a novena for Nicaragua, where this was the reality for some of these, these priests that were kidnapped and, and, and held in prison. So while you're meditating on the scourging of our Lord at the pillar, I want you to consider the locations in the world and the missions where it's not physically safe to be a Christian. Sorry, Father Anthony, it looked like you had a thought there. 
No, 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 absolutely. I, I, I mean, just thinking very much about the church in uh, in Nicaragua right now. Just recently, what well, the bishop and a uh, dozen or more others were released and living in the, uh, in Rome. But yeah, it's I, I yeah, the church in this country absolutely faces uh, some real challenges. But at, mercifully, at this point, we're not existentially about our, our very lives. Exactly. So, yeah. And you don't want to, we have to be careful about using language that elevates it too much of because when that really happens, then what language do we use? You exactly. Know? Exactly. So take this time when you're thinking of the scourging of our Lord at the pillar, remember those places where it is not physically safe. That's not where we are. We're not there. There are mission churches. Um, we've spoken to, to missionaries on this podcast who couldn't reveal where they do their mission work because it's not physically safe for them to do that. So please take that during that um, mystery to, to consider that. And then when you brought up the, uh, the churches, I'm sorry, the priests that were just um, released to Rome, that brings us to the second thing, the crown of thorns. That was done to humiliate our Lord. That was done to, to hurt his feelings, to make to make fun of him. They did it as a joke. It was a mockery. And so at this time during that mystery, I would encourage you to pray for those who are living in exile. Uh, we've got Bishop Baez living in Miami and then the the bishops from, or sorry, the bishop and priests from Nicaragua who are now living in Rome. They're foreigners where they live now. They've been removed from their own country. That's a humiliating thing. That's something that um, it's, they still have their lives, but they're they're separated from their brethren. And so during that crowning with thorns, when that's the mystery, I would like you to, to take that time, meditate on those who have been forced out of where they were because of their faith, specifically those priests from, from Nicaragua, but anywhere as well. There's, there's tons of people living in exile right now. Um, and then after that, the fourth mystery, we have the carrying of the cross. This is where I would let you, I would say, um, Let's go. Let's pray for the people who are physically safe, but feeling um, persecuted. People who are persecuted, but their life is not at risk. This is kind of everybody in the world, but this is the mission church all over the place. Um, there's mission churches in in St. Louis that you can be praying for, where it's physically safe to be a Christian, but it's not great. Um, so, so while you're thinking of carrying the cross, each of your burdens can be offered up for that. So, when you're thinking of the mission church, think of those who are physically safe, but also not comfortable in, in, in where they're at. And finally, we have the crucifixion, which is something that we can all bind ourselves to. And this is being able to die to ourselves and to live in Christ, which is so easy to say as a comfortable, warm Christian in Indiana, but it means something entirely different when you belong to the church of Malawi, for example, um, having to die to your own needs. And Father Anthony and, and Maggie were talking last week about the offering baskets that go up in Malawi. Well, actually, the baskets stay still. The people go up in Malawi to make their, to make their offering. And that's, that's a death to self. That's offering from your need or that's 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 deep right there and so when we are talking when you're meditating on the crucifixion of christ consider those in the missions who are having to give from their need who are having to die to themselves who are having to choose christ every day whether it's physically safe or whether it means that they're gonna have to give up some some function of their of their need what do you think about i think that, I, yeah no i was also thinking of the church in china that again is just going through so much and um, there's a Chinese couple, husband and wife in my parish, who um, 
are originally from China and they're very, very serious, devout Catholics. And and sometimes when we talk, I talk to him, there's some language struggle there, but when we're able, when I'm able to talk, I think about um, when the church is persecuted, when Christians, Catholics are persecuted, um, you know, those who hang on are have such a depth because it can't, when the seed falls on shallow ground, as soon as as soon as the hard times come, we're done here. I'm out of here. But um, they they are an inspiration to me, and I say that in a way, not in some sort of Pollyanna way, um, because it's easy for me to say that, for us to say that in the warmth and security of our homes here. But um, it yeah, I just I'm just thinking of also the church in China too. So yeah all of those places where it's where it's difficult. So please consider offering up your rosary, specifically your sorrowful mysteries, this Lent uh, for the mission churches, meditate on those things. But we actually have a really great gospel to go along with this, um, this particular thought. And I'm wondering if Father Anthony will tie it in the same way that I do. So we'll, I'll, we'll read it and see where we go, okay? Fair enough. All right. So this is the gospel of Mark. We are in chapter nine, verses two through 10. Jesus took Peter, James, and John and led them up a high mountain apart by themselves. And he was transfigured before them and his clothes became dazzling white, such as no fuller on earth could bleach them. Then Elijah appeared to them along with Moses and they were conversing with Jesus. Then Peter said to Jesus in reply, Rabbi, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you, one for Moses and one for Elijah. He hardly knew what to say. They were, they were so terrified. Then a cloud came, cast a shadow over them, and the cloud, and from the cloud came a voice. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. Suddenly, looking around, they, they no longer saw anyone but Jesus alone with them. As they were coming down from the mountain, he charged them not to relate to what they had seen to anyone, except when the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So they kept the matter to themselves, questioning what rising from the dead meant. All right, Father, what sticks out to you here, reaching into our Lexio bag? Well, I think we are not going to alight on the same thing because um, some years ago, and this is a very interesting theological point, I came across a reference to what a, one of the things Aquinas said about this. And I, I've used this in homilies. I'm not sure how, 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 how well it's landed or how much it's touched people, but I, I find it very interesting. It said uh, Aquinas theorized that because Jesus was fully human and fully divine, his divinity would have overwhelmed his humanity uh, throughout his life. So he had to shield his divinity from most of his life, of most of his earthly life. But here was an example on, on Mount Tabor where he let his divinity come out. And for a brief moment, the apostles... Uh, saw this. And it's one of those points that I, I, um, it's not like you say, okay, now, and where, where does the rubber hit the road for me there? But it's, it's one of those points that I like to just kind of think about. Isn't that, it's, it's a point of, of to, worth pondering. Um, mm-hmm. And then obviously the other thing which I've used in homilies is, I, I mean, I, I get Peter's point, like, um, let's, let's stay here as long as we can. This is an amazing experience. We just want to make this last forever. Uh, but hey, that's not life. It's just, it's just not life. Those moments of transfiguration, they're ephemeral and they're fleeting. And then life goes on. So um, 
it's it's a very uh, uh, mundane reminder of our uh, our existence that it's got transfer generations, and then we have to go back down to the mount down the mountain and do a lot of just ordinary, boring, difficult work. So that's that's a couple of some random thoughts in my head. Oddly, they're, they're very similar to what okay. I was thinking. So okay. I was like, ha, yes. The Holy Spirit is great about that. It happens all the time on this podcast where we get like absolutely perfect readings for these kinds of things. But when you're saying that the the godness or the divinity of Christ would overwhelm his humanity at times, that happens to us in our spiritual lives every now and then, right? Where you, there are some days where it's just so clear that, oh, I just need to live for Jesus. Like that, that seems so easy. And so you, we call that um, like when kids come back from Steubenville conferences or NCYC where they have a, a Jesus high, those feel so real. And so, I mean, they're not, not real. They are real. Those yeah. feel so overwhelming that like the, the divinity of God is so big in our hearts, but then exactly what you said is that it, we want to stay there. And that's just not the reality. And I think a lot of that happens in Lent when people become extremely committed to their, their, their spiritual practices and they do a really good job with them. They're able to focus themselves on Christ and his church so, so well. But then, then it's a thought that like, let's just stay here. Let's only be in the church. Let's only go to the fish fry. Let's have the fish fry every Friday throughout the year so that we can be in community with each other. And we've talked before the importance of community, the importance of staying in the church. But the challenge of this gospel is that you have to be out there. You need to go be in the world. Um, you have to reach out to the people that can't see that mountain. Um, and that's the real challenge of Lent is, is to be able to reflect that light back to the world once you're back down from the mountain when you're walking. I like, I like, I especially like the way you frame that. Thank you, Katie. Thank you. That's great. Yeah. It's when you're walking past the people that are hard to get to in the parish. <laughs> Remember, right, you got to right. be with the people. So I, I love this, this reading, especially at the end of our, um, our, our February Lenten celebration you know, practice evaluation here. And I hope that this has been meaningful for our listeners, getting a bunch of different ways to to look at their prayer, to talk a little bit about fasting and a little bit about almsgiving. Um, I, I, I hope you guys have a fantastic and blessed Lent. Father, do you have anything you'd like to add before we go? No, we're, we're already into Lent a bit. So, um, and if you've had a few false starts, that's okay. Just start again. Every day is a new opportunity. Uh, every day is a new grace. So, and it, it's not a, it's not a marathon. It's, it's not, a, it's not a sprint. It's a marathon and you don't get any prizes at the end. It's just what we learn and what graces we're able, how much of our heart we can give to the Lord each day. That's all that it's all about. Yeah, Amen. that's beautiful and perfect. Amen. Thank you guys so much for being here with us and we will see you next week. Bye. Frontiers of Faith is a podcast of the Pontifical Mission Societies, produced by Katie Ruvalcaba. Theme music by Ethan Stevie. Make sure to follow us on Twitter at Faith underscore Frontiers and at Frontiers of Faith on Facebook and Instagram. To support the work of the Pontifical Mission Societies, please go to onefamilyinmission.org to donate.